Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. If you don't have your personal Bible and would like to read the one in the book right before you, it's on page 1038. That's Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and then you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous were answering him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry. And you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, are needing clothes, are sick in prison and did not help you, he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. May God bless his reading of his word. In a time where kings and rulers were ruthlessly vying for dominance and the common man was oppressed by the thumb of Rome, a disunified Israel held on to hope for their promised Messiah to rescue them. However, no one knew what to expect. Some expected a warrior who would crush his enemies with the sword. Some expected a king who would establish a government over all. Who came? No one expected. Born a carpenter's son, 
This man was humble yet authoritative, unpredictable yet reliable, compassionate yet bold. The Messiah's entrance was not a warrior campaign which forced submission. It was an invasion beginning in the hearts and the lives of those he encountered. This is the story of the true Messiah emerging amidst the pretenders. This is the story of Jesus turning the world on its head. This is the story of the King and his kingdom. Well, good morning. Can you believe uh, that it's been one year, a Sunday, uh, one, well, I guess one year of Sundays ago, that I first stood here uh, in front of you as your brand new pastor and started preaching a series on love and, and talking about 1 Corinthians 13. And, and I remember at the time, I mean, I had just let the Sunday before I was leading worship in Springfield. That was my last Sunday of uh, leading worship as their worship pastor. And then the next Sunday I was here starting a series that I was like, whew, I guess I'll do this series and I don't know what's next. <laughs> so, uh, but it's funny, I, we've caught up over time and now I've got more ideas for sermons and series than I know what to do with. So um, it's been a fun year and, and just thank you for welcoming me and, and my family so warmly. And we've, we were just talking yesterday, not even really thinking in terms of the one year mark, but just in general of how um, at home we feel in this congregation and in this community and, and um, with our home and everything. And we're just grateful to all of you for the part you played in that. And uh, it's been a, a good year. I feel like a lot of good things have happened already. And uh, just there's more stuff to be excited about coming down the road. And uh, so that's a lot of what next Sunday is about the, with the Friends and Family Sunday is a chance uh, for us to have a conversation as a church about uh, where we've been, where we're going, that kind of thing, but also to share that with people who have a vested interest in this church that may not be able to be here week in and week out. There's a lot of people who, you know, they still kind of consider this their their church, you know, or they spent some time here and, and they still care about uh, you and you care about them and, and so just a chance to invite them and say hey come hear what we've been up to what we're doing. Uh, part of that conversation is going to be just a, an honest dialogue too about uh, why some change was necessary. Why the church felt like that was necessary and, and uh, so we'll have just a kind of an honest conversation about that and some of the, the uh, struggles faced by many churches that are in our shoes and then but what we've been doing about it, and, and where we, why we're, why we're optimistic, why we're excited about the future, and and so I think it's going to be a really, a neat service for us, and hopefully for them too, uh, that we invite. So uh, again, if you if you plan to invite some folks, uh, you can write their names down so we know they're invited. Uh, if you have their addresses, you can write those down, and we'll send them a, an additional invitation from the church. Uh, just letting them know that we'd look forward to having them or we'd love to have them. And, uh, but we need to get those from you today if you're going to turn those in. So should have an insert for that. We might remind you one more time about that before today's over. So uh, that week is going to launch a new series too because this is the last Sunday of this series. So next week we'll start a series called Legacy and talk about um, the legacy of our church and, and our legacies individually and of course the, the legacies of 
mothers and you know being Mother's Day and, and so we'll dive into that next week but this week we finish up a series that we've been talking about with this whole kingdom thing the king and his kingdom and I hope that on some level or another this has been as uh, interesting and as eye-opening and and um, informative to your faith as it has been to mine just to realize and see that uh, this thing called, that God calls the kingdom is, is a major theme woven throughout scripture and especially in the gospels. Uh, you know, how many times did Jesus say, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this. It says that when he went out and began his earthly ministry, he began to teach that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, or the kingdom of God was at hand. And that's what his ministry on earth was about. That's what his death and resurrection were about. That's what his second coming is going to be about. And, uh, and that's really boiling down to what we're going to talk about today. His kingdom come. Because there's a sense in which God's kingdom was coming even as Jesus was here. Walking on earth. And there's a sense in which it's coming still in our hearts and lives, and we've talked about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, what it means to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. But there's also another sense in which his kingdom has yet to fully come. And so we look forward to the day when it will. And that's what uh, this message is about. Just kind of an aside about that. If that seems odd to you, because it has seemed odd to me, and the whole concept of kingdom was really kind of confusing for me. Like, okay, so... Is it a thing that happened, or is it happening, or is it going to happen, or what? You know, I like things to be kind of concrete and clear-cut, and that seems kind of, I don't know, abstract, wishy-washy, what's the deal? But then I thought about just how actual kingdoms that we're familiar with work and have worked, and that's just kind of how it works. For instance, if you look at David, King David in, in Scripture, he was anointed as just a little boy that no one ex had expected anything to come of. He was anointed as king. But that didn't mean that his kingdom was established that day, did it? <laughs> you know? And that was a process that took over time. And then, finally, when, when Saul died and, and it was David's time, then he became king of just two tribes of Israel for several years before he took Jerusalem and became the king of all 12 tribes of Israel. And then it was several years after that before he subdued all the enemies that were, and you know got the territory set in stone, the boundaries set in stone, to really establish the kingdom of Israel. And David's the one that God used to do all that, but it took a process. It's not something that, well, you know, one day there was a kingdom, one day, you know, one day there wasn't, one day there was. It was a process, and so is Christ's kingdom. It's in process. The victory is assured, but it's still in process. And so let's talk about the kingdom to come. Now the thing about talking about the kingdom to come is that we in America get kind of weird about this topic. All right, and and it just seems like just the more I've read, people, some people in other countries think that we have kind of an unhealthy obsession over here with hell, and maybe heaven too, 
And that we, you know, not all churches do this, not all church groups do this, but, you know, there's a lot, and there's been seasons in our, in our churches, in the church, American church's life, where it's really been heavy on the hellfire, damnation, you know, fear tactics, if you will. Um, and I really think that all that is rooted way back, as I was looking into this this week, I was reminded that the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening that took place before we were even really officially a nation. It took place in the middle of the 1700s. And just a bunch of colonies and a, and a revival broke out. And a major concept, a major theme of that was this hellfire kind of preaching. And people, men like uh, Jonathan Edwards would stand up and preach. Maybe you've heard the, ser- the famous sermon title, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Whew. Makes you want to go, doesn't it? <laughs> but, sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And, and the, the content, you know, lived up to the title. And he talked about all the details of what was going to happen to you in hell. I'm not sure how he got all the details, but he, he laid it out there, you know, of how bad it was going to be. And, and so maybe it started all the way back there. But somehow through all the years, we've just been obsessed with the second coming and with the heaven thing and the hell thing. And, you know, it's not that it shouldn't be taught. But we run the risk of making our faith all about heaven or all about hell. Uh, when I grew up, uh, it was popular, and I think it probably still is, at least in some circles, uh, for people in youth ministry to hit youth with the hell thing. Because, you know, if you can scare that out of them, <laughs> then, you know, they'll run to Jesus. And, and I really think that it's kind of, you know, probably their motive's in the right place. They want kids to be saved. And they, you know, by scaring the kids, then, you know, it's more likely they're going to pray the sinner's prayer or whatnot, and they can check that one off, another soul saved. But then you also look at the statistics of students who, as they grow into adults, fall away from the church, reject God. Why does that happen? And I'm not saying this is the only reason, but if you have a faith that's just built on fear, then you don't have much of a faith. And there may be some of us in this room today that are still either, we have a faith that's based on fear, or we're still just haunted by that. I mean, I've heard from a lot of people who would say, you know, I still worry about where am, where am I headed how do I know for sure that I'm going to heaven and not to hell I remember having those worries you know as a, there was a season in my life as a kid where I was really worried about that how do I know that you know that my prayer was good enough or that my life is good enough how do I know for sure that I've you know done what it takes jump through the right hoop to get make sure that I'm not going to that place but I'm going to this place you know and we and we wrestle with that But I just want to say that to the extent that we boil our faith down to just a matter of eternal destination, if we make our faith just about where are you headed, heaven or hell, we've completely missed the point. 
and we've missed the boat and it's sailing off without us if that's where we're stuck. Or more literally with this topic, we've missed the kingdom and it's launching without us. If that's where you're at today or if you've been there, let's just talk about and look at what Jesus had to say about this. Don't just take my word for it. Those are big statements that we've missed the boat entirely if that's all that we've made our faith about. But let's look at what Jesus says. And we, and we just read a passage. It's kind of a popular passage. In fact, it's a popular passage with people who want to preach the hellfire sermons, right? They pull out the passage about, you know, Jesus tells the story of he divides the sheep to one side, the goats to the other side, and he tells these folks, hey, you did good, pat you on the back, come on in, and he tells these folks, you're going to hell, get ready to burn. (laughs) That's our interpretation of it. Well, there's two stories before that that I just want to kind of recap for you and talk about too because I think they shed light on this. And on the surface, they seem to fuel our fears. But I think if we look a little closer, we find that that's not the point. The first parable in Matthew 25 that Jesus tells, he says the kingdom of God is like, uh, well he calls them in the literal translation, ten virgins at a wedding about to happen. Okay, but in our culture, in our day, we would say ten bridesmaids. All right, ready for the groom to come. In, the, in their society, weddings just looked a lot different. So, you know, they were sitting around waiting for the groom to come and the party to start. All right, and so their job was to hang out with the bride and wait for the party to start. And that's, that was what their job was. And Jesus tells this story about some of them came prepared with enough oil and some of them didn't come prepared with enough oil for their lamps. And while they were waiting... Half of them ran out of oil and they went to go get some more. And while they were gone, the groom comes and he takes the five who were prepared and, and takes them on to the big party. And the, the um, I almost said fiesta, but that's totally the wrong. <laughs> but, but feast, I think is what I was looking for. All right, the feast, the party. And, and then the, the five who had to go back and get oil, they came and they knocked on the door and they said, we're here. And the, the groom says, I don't, I don't know you. And he leaves them shut out in the darkness. And there's a part of us that says, see, I don't even know what the oil is. How do I know if I'm going to get in or not? I mean, I'm going to show up at heaven, heaven's door. I'm going to knock and I have no idea what Jesus is going to say. I mean, was my prayer good enough? Was my life good enough? And then there's the other story. The other story is about, in fact, we went through it in a stewardship series that we did not long ago on God's economy. But it's the story of these guys and the, the master, their master, their lord, their, um, the guy that, was in, that they worked for, basically, entrusted each of them with some money before he left. It's called the parable of the talents because that's what they call it instead of dollars, talents. And so he left one of them with a bunch of money, one of them with a little bit of money, and one with a very little bit of money, it says, according to their abilities. And the first two guys, they invested it. The other guy, he, was, he knew that, man, the master was serious. He meant business. And so he buried his in the ground so that he wouldn't lose it. And when the master came back, he dug it back up. 
Meanwhile, the other guys had invested theirs wisely and had gotten a return. And, and the master comes back and he praises them. And the other guy says, I knew you were a, a hard man. And I knew you uh, are you know, serious about not losing what you got and all that kind of thing. So I buried your money. And, and here it is, back in full. I took good care of it. Nothing, you didn't lose a dime. And again, God takes the money away from him, gives it to the one who had done the best job of investing, and kicks that guy out. And again, we say, my goodness, what does this even mean? How do we know that we're not going to get kicked out? But I want to suggest to you something that just kind of dawned on me this week as I've heard those stories before. But consider this. The bridesmaids had their complete attention set on the party. They weren't worried about what they needed to be doing in the meantime. They were excited. They had been chosen as bridesmaids and they were looking forward to the party. So they just kicked back and waited and ended up unprepared. You might say that they were really excited about heaven. They had punched their ticket to paradise. So they just set their eyes on that prize and sat back and waited for the party to start. The guy with the talents, he was so worried about the master's wrath that it paralyzed him with fear. And he didn't do what he was supposed to be doing in the meantime. So you might say that he was so worried about saving himself from hell that he ended up missing out on what he was supposed to be doing in the meantime. And then there's the third and last story of Matthew 25 that we read together just a moment ago. And it's still a parable and it still has some metaphors and things going on but it gets a lot more concrete than the first two stories did talking about oil and talking about talents in the first stories. And this one Jesus gets a lot more specific. And he says... To the ones, to the sheep that he divided up, he said, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I just want to mention there that the kingdom prepared for them since the creation of the world. And as we've mentioned probably a few times in this series, God created this place and created us to be his people and to be his kingdom. And he set it up in just the right way. The, the, the way that everything's so messed up now, the way that there's so much pain and so much suffering and so much wrong and so much injustice and so much oppression and, and you read things in the news that make you shake your head, that was not 
the plan in the start. He had a different plan from the beginning. He was preparing a kingdom from the beginning, since the creation of the world. And the kingdom to come is about setting things right again. Getting things back to the way he intended it to be from the start. He goes on and says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Because I said, Well, God, what did, we, you know, what did we do to deserve to get in? And he said all this, and they said, when did we do that? When did we do that, God? Jesus, when did we see you hungry and give you something to eat and so forth and so on? And he says, to the extent you did that to the least of these, you did it to me. And so, like I said, just so much more concrete, really, than the others. It just spells it out for us. See, you were serving others, and in the process, you were serving me. You were serving your king. You were doing the work of my kingdom this whole time. And so come on in. When you went and you sat with that widow who was so lonely in that nursing home, and you held her hand for a little while, you were serving me. When you went to that soup kitchen and you served a meal to someone who was homeless and hungry, you were serving me. When you went to that prison and found someone without hope and offered them hope, you were serving me. When you sponsored that child overseas that doesn't have enough to eat, doesn't have much of a future, but you helped give them one, you were serving me. And you were doing the work of my kingdom. <laughs> but to the other group, the response was very different. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I thought it was interesting. It doesn't say prepared for you. It wasn't ever intended for you. Don't picture God as sitting up there saying, <laughs> I'm going to make this for them. You know. Hmm. And he says the same thing, for I was hungry and you didn't do a thing. I was sick and you didn't do a thing. And they said, well, when did that happen? And he said, every time that you didn't do it, for someone else, you didn't do it to me. And I think, you know, when we look at that, paired with those first two stories, we could say that in this second group, sure, I mean, there's the people who are out there in the world who, you know, they're just seeking their own pleasure, they're just seeking their own fun, they want to be their own king, they don't want someone else to be their king. Those folks, sure, they're in that group. 
They've rejected God. They've rejected His way of life. They want to do things their way. But I think in this group as well, we find some people like those bridesmaids who were so assured that they had punched their ticket, that they didn't need to lift their finger to do another thing for anybody. They had gotten to heaven. So they weren't going to worry about anything else that they ought to be doing in the meantime. And there in that group also we find the guy who is so worried about saving his own skin that both groups ended up losing. Even that. (laughs) You see, I mean, Jesus is saying, who are you? I mean, what, I don't know you, is the phrase he used. Because you haven't been living as a citizen of my kingdom. I think that it's interesting that it was selfishness that got us into this mess in the first place, right? It was selfishness that that said, no, we we want our own pleasure, we want our own fun, we want our own way. And so, here we are. in a world that looks very different from what God intended. And yet we think that more selfishness of a different brand is going to get us out of it. We think that by selfishly trying to save our own skin, that that's going to fix it, that's going to be the solution. And if our faith is just about saving our own skin, what good is that? How is that different from what got us in this mess in, in the first place? heavy stuff but God Jesus came and he brought a new kind of kingdom I love this quote it's from John Dixon in a, in a great book that will probably base a sermon series off here one of these days about outreach but he mentioned this if you've ever asked why doesn't God do something about the evil and pain of the world you have in a sense hoped for what Jesus called the kingdom that the kingdom is about setting things right. And we have hope and we have a job to do if we are going to be citizens of the kingdom. And that is to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's, you know, I used to just treat that prayer as like to pray your kingdom come means, well, Jesus, come back. And I guess there's a sense in which that's true. But it's a a present tense. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth, in our here and now. You have your way. You have your will be done. And we need to pray that God's will would be done in the here and now. And not only pray it, but that's our job as well. As citizens of the kingdom. Is to pray about that, but then to do our part in helping his kingdom to come. To do our part in helping to right some wrongs. That's what citizens of the kingdom do. And Jesus, he stands and I believe he invites us all. And he says, would you just stop trying so hard 
to save your own life and instead give it away with me? Would you stop trying so hard to save your own skin? Stop looking out for number one. It's not about you, and it's not about me. And as long as we are still trying to make it about ourselves, then we're living our lives no different than the world out there is living it, and the kingdoms of this world are living it, because that's what they're doing too. They're looking out for number one, only they're just doing it in the here and now. And we've one-upped them somehow by trying to, you know, hey, we're looking out for number one in the future. (laughs) Jesus says, I didn't come to lord it over people. I came to serve them. And I didn't come to condemn people. I came to forgive people. And I didn't come to save my own life. But to give it away to save yours. And so now, if you want to be a kingdom, a a citizen of my kingdom, you do likewise. Stop trying to save your life and give it away. Can you imagine? Just try and imagine how much peace would come to the person who's so wrapped up in fear. Are they going to be good enough? Are they going to jump through all the right hoops? Did they pray a good enough prayer? If they stopped trying to save their life and just started giving it away with Jesus, what joy they would find in that and what peace you would find. Can you imagine what our world would look like if all the Christians who have their heads in the clouds and keep singing singing about their mansion over the hilltop, which we love and I just sang (laughs) last Sunday, but if we have our heads in the clouds and we're just zoned in, hey, I punched my ticket, another one I love, I'm not just picking on southern gospel music, but (laughs) I've got a ticket to paradise. I've got a feeling I'll be leaving soon, or won't it be nice? (laughs) And if we let that become our focus of, man, I'm done with this world, punched my ticket, looking forward to it, I'm going to sit back, sip some lemonade, and wait for the big ride to the sky. How is that any less selfish than the world? But can you imagine what it would look like if all those folks took their heads out of the clouds and said, I want to start giving my life away to others and to God in service for the kingdom? What it would look like? What would it look like if all of us who call ourselves Christians took on a kingdom mindset And those people that we see when we're out in the world, especially the ones that make us so mad, (laughs) if instead of just being mad and thinking, what a jerk, instead of just being so, shaking our heads and saying, man, those poor kids, that mom is just a, 
Mm, boy. Instead of shaking our heads and saying, look at that guy. What an idiot. I mean, who does that to themselves? I mean, you know, tattoos from head to toe, smoking and drinking, and look at that guy. What if we took on a kingdom mindset that saw through to the hearts of people and wondered what kind of pain did they experience in their life that got them to this point? How hopeless are they to treat their kids that way? A kingdom mindset that tries to look through the eyes of Jesus that prays that his spirit would live in us and that somehow or another would teach us to see people the way he sees them can you imagine I can tell you what would begin to happen God would begin to answer our prayers the very prayer he taught us to pray that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us our pride, our selfishness. May your spirit in us change our hearts to be a lot more selfless like Jesus who did not seek his own pleasure but endured suffering and the cross for the sake of the very ones who had wronged him. What an example, God. And God, I pray for those who hear this message either in this room or maybe even later listening online. And they might be still wrestling with this whole faith thing. They might be wrestling with this fear of hell. They may have given up a long time ago on ever being able to do enough to get out of hell and into heaven. And God, they've been so confused. And they've been missing the point. And I pray that they'd be bold enough to make you their king. And God, for those of us who might have punched our tickets and then checked out, get us back in the game, God, so to speak. God, get us refocused, re-energized, revitalized for ministry, for your kingdom work. For surely that's what you've called us to. We're not just here, God, to enjoy our time to bide our time until we make it to heaven so ignite a fire in us we pray to do your kingdom work here and now we pray all this in Jesus name Amen